You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Our final message on Romans, we still have about a chapter and a half, but essentially this is Paul's, remember, the Bible is, is like made of letters. So they usually start with, hey guys, how you doing? And then theological discourse for a long while. And then, hey guys, see you later. This is the way that Casey likes to sum up letters when we're recording Jackson Cloud episodes, because these kinds of letters happen uh, all over the place. So with that being said, um, the letter to the Romans, when we get into the last chapter and a half here, uh, Paul's just kind of saying hello to people. Uh, so we're going to skip to the end. There's one thing I wanted to focus on. But before we get to the, the main thing I wanted to focus on, there's two other things I just want to say real quick. Number one, Paul makes a big deal about going to see these people in Rome. He does it quite often through a letter talking about how man, I just wish I could see you guys. I'd like to be present with you, but you know my ministry is to the Gentiles, so I've been out reaching the Gentiles, but once that's all cleared up, I'll make my way to you type thing. If you were to look at um, uh, the way that the Bible kind of portrays reaching the nations between the Old Testament prophecies and how the nations are spread out at Babel and things like that, you would see that the way that Paul is talking about getting to Rome, it gives this impression as though he's following what the Old Testament has laid out for him. It's as though Paul has seen how the nations have been separated at Babel, how they've been turned over um, to uh, follow other things that are not God. And now Paul is running to all of these nations, trying to invite them in to come and follow the one true God, to leave all of those other things behind and come and be followers of Jesus, who is Yahweh in flesh. So he keeps calling people out, come and do this, come and do this, come and do this. And Paul, in the way he talks about getting to Tarshish, the way he talks about getting to Rome, to Italy, you see him, he's like, he's making his way all the way to the edge of the map, the, the very ends of, of the Roman Empire. He needs all of the Gentiles throughout the whole thing to hear God, hear the good news about God. Paul believed that Jesus was coming back any day because the Bible says... Jesus is coming back any day. <laughs> but especially in Bible times, they thought any day was like within 70 years. So for them, it was like, we got to get the word out there. Yeah, he, Jesus is coming back literally. It, we could wake up tomorrow and it's all over, which is still the case today. But like, <laughs> especially going through, through Paul's mind. I mean, Paul had the audacity at one point to be like, look, if you don't need to get married, don't get married. Because like, Jesus is going to be back pretty soon. And like, let's just focus on, on the things that we need to do for the kingdom. That's how focused Paul was. And he himself kind of followed that own action. And he got a lot done running from nation to nation to nation. And now he's writing to, to Rome telling them, I'm coming your way as well. He's making his way to the edge of the Roman Empire, telling everybody about who God is. So one little point I want you to take from the next chapter and a half that I'm just quickly blipping through is Paul understood the urgency of taking the good news to the edge of the world. A lot of times when we talk about taking the good news to the edge of the world, we're thinking like, you know, to the edge of Jackson or to the edge of this or that. But Paul's mind was like, no, I'm literally appointed to sweep the entire world, <laughs> the entire known world of his time and take the good news throughout the whole thing. And that's what he spent his time doing. 
That's one point. Next point is this. Uh, we're a free Methodist church. We believe in women in ministry. And part of the reason that we believe in women in ministry, despite some of the confusing passages that make you think otherwise, is because of passages like this. Paul is usually the one who's used to say women shouldn't be in ministry. But pay attention to all the things that he writes everywhere. In this particular case, as Paul's doing his, we'll catch you guys later speech, he's greeting woman after woman after woman after woman of God who has been serving God in numerous ways. You're going to see Paul mention Junia, the apostle. Apostle? That's like above pastors, that's above prophets. That's all the way at the top of the church hierarchy. Junia, the apostle? (laughs) You see... Him greeting a female apostle. You see him greeting a female deacon. You see him uh, talking about these women who went to jail with him. You see him saying hi to this woman who might as well have just been his mom. Because that's basically how she uh, acted as a figure in his life. So when we pay attention to the fine lines throughout everything that Paul's saying... We see in something that feels boring to us, like, hey, say hello to this person I don't know. Prisca, Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, uh, risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, greet my beloved Apaniatis, greet Mary, greet Andronicus, greet Junia. Like, we don't pay attention to many of those because it's... You know, we don't know who they are. (laughs) It's just like, oh, let's get to the end of this chapter. But if we're stopping for a minute, it's like, wow, there's a lot of female people that Paul did ministry with in a lot of different places. So pay attention to that. That's another point that I'd like to make. And then the third point, the one that I want to rest on uh, just for the rest of our short time together. Don't worry, I'm not going lengthy today. Pastors should never say that. It never ends well when they do. (laughs) You're a pastor, so I can take that from you. But Otherwise, I'd be deeply insulted right now. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I can't keep it short. <laughs> it's the last paragraph I want to focus on. Romans 16, verse 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that has been kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. The Bible for a long time was gibberish. You like that statement right there? (laughs) There is a lot of stuff in the Bible that before Jesus came, it was intentional gibberish on God's part. And the reason for that was because when you are making plans to defeat an enemy, you don't tell them what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, Val gets it. That would be ludicrous. Now, God's plan to defeat his enemy, Satan... The little G God of this world, as uh, Paul says elsewhere, God's plan to defeat Satan was more or less to send a Trojan horse into the kingdom of Hades. It's called the cross. Satan loves death. Satan loves lying. Satan loves destruction. Jesus himself said that. 
Satan is a father of lies. He has been a murderer since the beginning, and he lies and kills, steals and destroys. That's what Satan does. But Jesus does what? Anybody? He's come to bring life. And not just life, but life abundant. So, do you think Jesus knew that if he was going to go to earth as son of God, that if Satan had the temptation to kill him, Satan would go for that? (laughs) Of course, because Satan just loves to destroy. And who would he love to destroy more than the son of God? And so, God set him up. God put in the Trojan horse of the cross. Hey, I bet you could hang me on this. And say, like, yeah, I can. The Bible says that Satan entered into Judas. And then, of course, Judas ends up putting in motion the things that get Jesus hung on a cross. Little does Satan realize that was the plan. And so, Jesus, who's never sinned and therefore isn't supposed to die, can't be killed by death, can't be killed by Satan, because sin is a curse upon, uh, because death is a curse upon sin, Satan oversteps his bounds when he enters into Judas and gets Jesus killed and hung on a cross. You can't do that. That was Jesus' plan all along. The Trojan horse is brought in to Hades. Jesus is brought into Hades. And you see all the demons, all the, the, the false sons of God, Satan himself, all these different enemies that, that they finally won. They finally beat Jesus. They think that they've conquered God himself. And then Jesus just walks up to Satan. And as I always say, goes up to the keys of death hanging around his neck and just yoink. Oh, did you want these? I got to go now. And then Jesus does what no human being has ever done throughout history and walks out the front gates of Hades back to the earth in a new body and then does what no one's ever done in history and goes up to humanity and says, well, I still got to go a little higher yet, so I'm going to take off, but I'll be back. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. And when he comes back, he's putting the whole thing together again. Now, People were not aware of that until Jesus came along. And that's weird to us. That's weird because this is all common Christian knowledge. Because we live 2,000 years later after all this happened. We have a Bible. The people who wrote your Bible, guess what? They didn't have a Bible. (laughs) Not, Not in the capacity that you did because they were writing it. What you have in the New Testament is a bunch of people saying... How did we miss this? Look at the Old Testament. Look at what Jesus did. It actually goes together. We never understood before. We thought that when Jesus came, it was going to be like this big militaristic victory and that he'd overthrow all of our enemies and that there'd be all this bloodshed and and crazy stuff and he'd install us back at the top. But now that we look at these prophecies that were very intentionally vague on God's behalf, and now that we think it over, it's like, no, 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 no. We thought that would happen, and there's those overtones throughout the prophecies, but if we really pay attention, look at this part right here. This part says that that Jesus wouldn't be attractive, as though he wouldn't be like this big militaristic king that we would all look up to and naturally put in place. It says right here that he'd be suffering. He was a suffering servant. Whoa, look at this psalm right here that really carves out. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They're killing me. They're selling my clothes. They're casting lots. 
They're eating at me. I'm falling apart. Whoa, we never realized before that, that these were the kinds of things that were pointing to the cross. Because we never had a cross in mind. Satan never had a cross in mind. You know, that goes for when we're interpreting Revelation too. A lot of people think they got Revelation all figured out. I guarantee you, you don't. You want to know why? Because it was intentionally written by God in such a way that it won't make sense until after it's happened. Just as God did not give Satan the heads up on everything the first time. So he hasn't given him the heads up on everything that is to come also. But one day when the resurrection has come and the new heavens and new earth, when heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss, as the song says, and, and they become one together and we put on new resurrected bodies and we come and live on the new resurrected earth. On that day, we will look back at Revelation just like Paul and all the other apostles and disciples looked back at their Old Testament and said, now it makes sense. One day we'll look back at Revelation and be like, ah, now it makes sense. Now, there's plenty we can catch on to, just as there was plenty for them to catch on to about the Old Testament. But only through Jesus does it truly make sense. And that's always hard for me as a pastor because I have to get up on stage every week and like explain something you already know. And it bums me out. (laughs) Like, I would love to just fresh explosion your mind. You know, like, guess what, guys? When Jesus died on the cross... It was actually him winning. (laughs) I would love that to be new information. So it would be like mind blown. That's why Easter and Christmas are always so hard for me. As it ends up, this little baby in the manger was God. Yeah, Jamin, we know that. I know. (laughs) As it ends up, we died on the cross. He had victory. Yeah, we know. I, I know. But imagine Paul running around to, to, the, to the new world where the prophecies are still behind them and, and they don't fully understand it yet. And Paul's running around and explaining, do you understand the resurrection? Do you understand the good news of God? Do you understand what's going on right now? And everybody's mind, blown. Except for that one kid when Paul spoke too long and he fell asleep and fell off the balcony and died. But then Paul raised him back to life. So his mind was probably blown as well in a, in a good way. Again, hear the words, Paul's ending words. Now to him who is able to strengthen according to my gospel. Why his gospel? Because people are putting out all kinds of gospels at this time, trying to interpret the Old Testament in false ways as well. And Paul's like, no, 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 this, this is the real one. Listen to this. This is all the more reason that Paul said, look, even if an angel talks to you and preaches to you something different than I've preached to you, don't you listen to that angel. That's a false angel. That's how intense Paul is about his gospel. According to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that, has, that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations, According to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. If that doesn't summarize a whole lot of what Romans is about. Hey guys, everything makes sense now. If we step back and look at the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus, mind blown over and over and over and over again. Does that happen to you when you read the Bible? For a long time, I was taught that you shouldn't look for Jesus in obscure places in the Old Testament. But you know what? I think they do it a lot when they're writing the New Testament. 
There's a lot of places where I'm like, oh, that's what you got from the Old Testament? You must have been looking through the lens of Jesus. (laughs) Because I wouldn't have caught that. And that's what happens time and time again for these New Testament writers. They're seeing Jesus show up all over the place. And we're now seeing the New Testament, uh, we're seeing the whole Bible explode in ways that we never had before. I don't know if you've noticed this, but over the, well, unless you've been super interested in Bible scholarship, you probably haven't heard about this. But like over the last 75 years, we have begun to understand the Bible in a whole lot of new and fresh ways. Does anybody know why that is? Take a stab. What? Holy Spirit. Yeah, I mean, he's helping us do it. This one, though, is more of a historical thing. We found something 75 years ago called the Dead Sea Scrolls. Essentially what this was, it was a bunch of people around the time of Jesus who were trying to follow God, writing down all their different studies about the Old Testament. They had a whole bunch more books that aren't in our Bible because they're not uh, elevated to the level of Bible, but they, they were good glimpses of the ways that they thought. They show us what they expected to happen when a Messiah showed up. They show us some of the things that uh, are written in the New Testament that we're like, where did they get that from? Oh, when we look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, we see, oh, they, they, the whole community thought in ways that were missing between the Old and New Testament. And once we piece all that together, we start seeing the Bible explode in a whole new light. Because as we do historical research, we're like, oh, well, this makes sense of why Paul said, you know, uh, women need to wear veils because angels are in the room. I, I guess that's happening because Paul thought that the women might pull a whole Nephilim thing again. Or the women. The angels would pull a whole Nephilim thing again. If everything I just said right there sounds like nonsense, we don't have time to get into it because Al told me I had to be done in a minute here. But like, as we look through all of the Dead Sea Scrolls and we see the way that they thought back then, all of the scriptures begin to pop in new lights that we completely missed. And it's not that the last 2,000 years of of Bible scholarship has been bad. It's been great. But actually, there's like a 1,000 years where people were unable to study the Bible within historical context because they didn't have the kind of information we have now. Isn't that weird? (laughs) That we'd have fresher revelation of the Bible 2,000 years after it was written than we might have over the last 1,000, 2,000 years or so. That's strange to us. But it does give us a chance to live into what Paul's saying, where the Bible can explode time and time again in new, fresh, and revelatory ways as we get in the mind of the way ancient people used to think. Now we're starting to see Jesus in the lens that they did. Now when Jesus comes casting out demons, which the Old Testament never seemed to say that he was going to do that, well, when we look at the way that they thought of the Messiah in, the, in, in between the Testaments, like, oh, now we see why, why Jesus might have done things like that, why he quoted some of the things that he did. The Bible is always fresh. It's fresh from a Holy Spirit perspective, like Kathy was saying. He's always giving us new direction to read it. It's fresh from the lens of Christ's perspective, like we preached about last week, where Paul reads a bunch of Psalms about uh, David conquering the Gentiles, but then Paul reads them backwards to say, oh, this is actually about God reaching the Gentiles and saving them. 
No, Paul, I don't think it is. Well, it is now, because through the lens of the cross, everything changes. (laughs) Oh, interesting. And it becomes fresh even from our new Bible studies, from our historical research, say, wow, we did not understand that the way they thought back then was like this. The Bible is constantly fresh. It is constantly offering us new words. There is stuff that we know now that... People throughout the ages of writing this thing did not know. Paul himself, living in the freshness of the new revelation of Jesus, showing the whole world how Jesus fulfills all those old prophecies. That continues to go on today as we continue to read our Bibles and study them and see them in the new lights as Jesus brings it to us. So again, uh, I just I think the last, last week and this week has been a, a strong encouragement to you To read your Bible. A lot of times we look at this as like a boring chore that we have to do. um, And that's not what God's looking for. God's convicted me on that before. I remember when I read through all the prophets in like a few weeks once. I audiobooked through it. I was so sad. Because the prophets are so sad. (laughs) And when I asked God like, why am I so sad? Like I can't read your word. It just makes me feel distant from you. That's what the prophets do to me. The way that he convicted me in the moment, I just felt like the Holy Spirit say, you read my word to get through it. You didn't read it with me. Oh, okay, that's fair. See, this is a living, breathing book. It speaks in ways that no other book can. And when you read it the wrong way, it actually becomes ammo against God. Just listen to the things that atheists say about our Bible. You know what? They're reading it with the lens that we are not. And when they come with all this ammo of look what your God says, it's hard sometimes. We're like, yeah, that's in there. Uh, I don't know what to do with bash your babies against the wall. You know, what do I do with that? Why is that in a psalm? But if we can give this over to God, he begins to make things fresh and new helps us see things the way that we're supposed to see it through the lens of Jesus. So continue to read this. Continue to give your heart over to God when you do it. Don't make it a chore. I tried that once too. I I woke up. I made a whole list. Here's how I'm going to be spiritually developing myself. I'm going to read this many chapters a day. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And then I went to a prayer session that night with someone who always hears from the Holy Spirit. Half the time doesn't even know it. He's praying over me. And the words that he says are... God, would Jamin not turn you into a checklist? It's like, well, I just did that this morning. You're right. I didn't even get a start on the checklist yet. I'm going to start tomorrow. <laughs> a lot of times we like to turn God into homework. God speaks if we let him speak. And if we let our own minds turn the way that we hear this book, there's a chance that we'll actually miss what God's saying. Sometimes we'll even walk away from him because we don't understand it. And if we let demons cause the way that we read this book, we'll actually become the very thing that Jesus didn't want us to be. Of all the worst people in the world, religious worst people are the worst people. Because <laughs> the Bible turns them into monsters. You can't save saved people. Because they're unable to recognize that they may not be saved. So give your heart over to the scriptures and experience what Paul experienced where the prophecies come in new life and the Bible becomes living and breathing and changes your world.
Amen? Let me pray for you. Lord of hosts, you are with us right now. You've got your angels in the heavenlies. You've got us in the earthlies. And you are looking to cultivate heaven on the earth through us as we work together to bring your image into Jackson and all the way to the edge of the earth, just as Paul himself was active at doing. God, make your word fresh for us. Make it fresh through historical research. Make it fresh through spiritual eyes. Make it fresh through the the lens of the cross of Jesus, that we might see you for who you are, and that just as Jesus walked down the road of Emmaus with these disciples who, who thought that it was all over and that everything had failed, Jesus, you looked to those disciples and you explained everything that you had completed through your entire ministry by starting with the law and moving into the prophets. And by the end, the apostles, these disciples, said, do we not feel our hearts burning within us? They realized just as many others would come to realize that the cross was not the end. The cross was the beginning. The cross was not an accident. The cross was an intentional choice on behalf of Jesus, who was willing to say, while he's bleeding blood in his own Garden of Eden, making a choice between life and death, making a choice between sin and holiness, He chose life, he chose holiness, and said, though I'd like to do something else, God, let me only do what you call me to do. Your will be done. May we live that same way. And Jesus, as we chase after you, may your word become fresh in our eyes every time we read it. In Jesus' name, amen. I went seven minutes over, but we started like 15 minutes late, so think about it. It bounced. We're, We're done early, really. If you do the math. All right. We'll catch you guys next week. Thanks.